Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will discover the root of replacement theology and see how it has infected the church and brought about centuries of division within the body of Christ. So let me start this podcast with a personal story. And I remember this day so clearly. I was sitting on my living room couch and holding an old King James Bible in my hand. And I was determined to discover the truth about what was in it. I believed in the one true God of Israel. So I said to him, I need to know the truth. Now keep in mind, I had no concept of the Holy Spirit speaking to me, but somehow asking God to show me his truth just made sense. As I started to read the book of Matthew, Matityahu, the story came to life, and remarkably, I was able to understand the old English language with incredible clarity. I continued reading the Bible for many weeks until one day the Lord stopped me at this verse. In Isaiah chapter 63, the Lord says, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their Savior. I now understood the gospel. God chose to become our Savior, born in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins. And I had to surrender my will to Him and accept the truth that Christ was the only path to salvation. But I still had other questions about Christianity. For example, why did the church reflect so little of its Jewish heritage? The Lord led me through several historical books that explained the conditions that created the chasm between Christianity and the Jewish people. I was struggling with the Gentile expression of Christianity, and there seemed to be this intentionality about sanitizing the church from anything Hebraic or Jewish. But what was the origin and root of this behavior? Simply labeling all this behavior as anti-Semitic seemed to oversimplify the issue. I mean, were all people that hateful towards the Jews? Many Christians I knew had never even met a Jewish person, so why would they hate them? Or maybe there was a degree of ignorance that was part of the problem. This seemed to be the more likely culprit, as much of the church, I learned, had not been properly taught about Israel or the Jewish people. But maybe there was an even deeper spiritual issue, a deep wound in our soul that has clouded our identity of who we are in the Lord. And perhaps this stemmed from mankind's sinful and fallen condition from the Garden of Eden. Now, I understood that actions are driven by motivation. So what was the root of this motivation? Some scholars correlate the church's separation from the Jewish people to the Nicene Creed that was written at the First Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. This took place during the early formation of what we call the Roman Catholic Church. But I discovered an earlier root of separation that goes back much further. I found the same pattern of rejection of the Jewish people within the Coptic Church in Egypt and Northeast Africa around 42 AD, the Assyrian Church, which was established in the first century, and the Greek Orthodox Church, which was also established in the first century. These three denominations predate the formation of the Roman Catholic Church. So the history is more complex than outlined here, but I intend to show that the separation began long before the Roman Catholic Church came to fruition. And Paul warned about this looming separation in the Book of Romans. And unfortunately, there is a chronology of this division solidifying itself in an early church writing by Tertullian, 
titled An Answer to the Jews. Tertullian was born in the city of Carthage in North Africa around 150 AD. And penning most of his works in Latin, he composed apologetic writings to the Romans and other writings in which he defended Orthodox Christianity. Tertullian is considered to be one of the fathers of Christianity and is the most often quoted writer of the pre-Nicene Church. In the first several paragraphs of this narrative, we begin to understand how supersessionism, which is also called replacement theology, entered the church. First, we need to understand what is replacement theology. Replacement theology teaches that all of God's covenants and their promises have been stripped from Israel, taken away, and given to the Gentiles because of Israel's rebellion against God and their rejection of their Messiah. And now the predominantly Gentile church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people, a new Israel. This theology often leads to a spiritualization of the Old and New Testament prophecies regarding the Jewish people. And it supports a millennial theology, which teaches that we are now living in the 1,000-year reign of Christ, where there is no rapture of the church and no future promises for the nation of Israel. These theologies believe that Israel was a temporary plan, a type or a picture of God's future greater plan, which is the church. And they take the writings of the New Testament out of context. For example, where it says in Revelation chapter 21, Behold, I make all things new. They falsely presume that God has replaced Israel with the church. And yet they ignore God's eternal covenant promises with the Jewish people and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For example, where the Lord said and affirmed in Jeremiah chapter 33, If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. They also cite scripture pointing to God's issuance of a bill of divorce to Israel, but they ignore or spiritualize the dozens of prophecies that point to God's future redemptive plans for the Jewish people, including his annihilation of their divorce certificate. It says in Isaiah chapter 50, Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? Replacement theology, what I also call ignorance theology, has been the single most damaging false teaching to enter the church. It has severed the Gentile Christians from their biblical foundation and spiritual fountainhead. And it has also isolated the Jewish people from the love of Christ and God's message of salvation. Rather than share the good news of the gospel and provoke Israel to jealousy, replacement theology has sadly fueled a root of hatred and anti-Semitism by Gentile Christians that have been kept ill-informed of Scripture through blind church leaders. So I pray the Lord removes this blindness and theological ignorance and restores the church to her proper foundation and understanding of God's prophetic plans for Israel and the Jewish people. So let's begin to unpackage the writings of Tertullian so that we can understand his thought process and the root of replacement theology. Tertullian's narrative originates from a dispute between two people who were passionately reasoning and articulating their differences. It was incredibly intense and most likely a very hostile fight between a proselyte, a convert to Judaism, and a Gentile Christian. The fight was so hostile that Tertullian says the truth became clouded. It was no longer a civil discussion about discovering God's truth, 
iron sharpening iron. So what were these two men fighting over? Sadly, these men were fighting to demonstrate that the other person was not worthy of God's grace. And they were also arguing whether the Gentiles were subject to God's Mosaic law as an additional requirement for salvation. Tertullian points out that the man arguing the law on behalf of the Gentiles was indeed himself a Gentile, a convert to Judaism, or a proselyte. And this is plausible, as the rabbis historically never forced Judaism on anyone, and probably held little, if any, relations with those outside of their tight-knit circles, especially Christians. The Jewish people consider themselves to be a separate and distinct people, set apart by the Lord from all other nations. The rabbis teach that the Mosaic Law was exclusively given to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, and the seven Noahide laws given to Noah after the Great Flood pertain to the Gentiles. Tertullian now adds his conclusion to the argument. He says, Although we have God himself as an adequate engager and faithful promiser, in that he promised to Abraham that in his seed should be blessed all nations of the earth, and that out of the womb of Rebekah, two peoples and two nations were about to proceed, of course, those of the Jews, that is, of Israel, and the Gentiles, that is, ours, he's presuming Esau, each then was called a people and a nation, lest from the non-cupative appellation any should dare to claim for himself the privilege of grace. For God ordained two peoples and two nations is about to proceed out of the womb of one woman. So Tertullian believes that God intended to create two distinct people groups. One is Israel, who remains subject to God's Mosaic law, and the Gentiles, which is the church, who are subject only to God's grace. Now, why is this a problem? Well, simply, it doesn't align with Scripture. Because it says we are all saved through faith by grace in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, in other words. As it says in Acts 15, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, Jews, shall be saved in the same manner as they, Gentiles. There are not two separate paths to salvation, one through the Mosaic Law and the other through Christ's atoning works on the cross. The Lord said in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 9, One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. And in John chapter 14, it says Christ is the only way to eternal life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him, through Christ. We also need to remember that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome regarding the now equal and unified relationship between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. He said in Romans 11, If some of the branches, which are Israel, were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, which are the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And Paul makes these two compelling statements regarding the Gentiles. First, he says they've been grafted in amongst Israel, who are the natural branches. And second, he warns the Gentiles not to boast or become prideful or arrogant against the natural descendants of Abraham. Tertullian is responding to what he perceives as Israel's pride against the Gentiles. In other words, their separateness and unique qualities that he perceives that they hold under the law of Moses. His response, however, only demonstrates his ignorance and pride, what I call the pride of the Gentiles. In doing so, he has become blind to the truth and has falsely declared that the church and Israel, by God's plan, were to be separate entities. 
just as Paul warned in Romans 11, Tertullian has now somehow become wise in his own opinion. Tertullian has taken this false narrative even deeper by saying this, For this fact, that Gentiles are admissible to God's law is enough to pervert Israel from priding himself on the notion that the Gentiles are counted as a little drop of a bucket, or else as dust out of the threshing floor. Accordingly, since the people or nation of the Jews is anterior in time and greater to the grace of primary favor in the law, whereas ours is understood to be less in the age of times, as having in the last era of the world attained the knowledge of divine mercy, beyond doubt, through the edict of the divine utterance, the prior and greater people, that is the Jewish, must necessarily serve the less, and the less people, that is the Christian, overcome the greater. Tertullian perceives that Israel's pride under the Mosaic law has regulated the Gentiles to a little drop of a bucket, or else as dust out of a threshing floor. And he equates Israel's response to the law of sanctification in the Old Covenant, which left the Gentiles out of God's plan of salvation, as Jewish pride. And he challenges God's sovereign election of Israel. The wall of separation established under the law of Moses and its natural enmity with the Gentiles was true. However, this wall would be torn down once Christ fulfilled the law of atonement by offering his sinless body as a sacrifice for all humanity to both Jew and Gentile. And Paul addressed the removal of the separation in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The argument that started between these two Gentiles has now somehow concluded with the damnation for all Israel. And this sounds like what we hear in the news today. Blame the Jews. They killed Jesus. They are the cause of all the world's conflict. Tertullian's response is likely from his fear and insecurity caused by a wound in his soul. And this wound came from the fall of mankind from the Garden of Eden and has left all of us with an identity crisis about who we are. Our fall and subsequent separation from God has left us orphaned in a fallen world. And orphan children tend to have an identity complex because we desperately want to know who is our father. Now, I realize this is an exegesis from scripture, but psychology can sometimes help explain outward behavior. As I heard one pastor tell me, so what are we Gentiles, second-class citizens in the kingdom of God? Of course not. We are all co-heirs in Christ and sons and daughters of God. There is now equality of both Jew and Gentile, as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Tertullian, 
who was a Christian, should have understood the scriptures. And his distaste for Israel is really about sibling rivalry. And he is desperately seeking his own identity in God, the Father, without having to associate with the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. In essence, he is, one, either refusing to accept Israel's election as God's firstborn child, or, second, he is trying to steal the honor and right of his elder brother. Paul reminded the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 2, glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So while it is clear there is now equality between Jew and Gentile in terms of our salvation, the Jewish people will always remain God's firstborn. As the Lord said in Exodus 4, Israel is my firstborn. Firstborn implies that God has many other children and he loves them equally. However, with the firstborn right of inheritance comes a special honor that God will never take away or give to another. Tertullian has refused to allow himself to be grafted into Israel and sadly has turned the tables upside down regarding Israel's election. And Paul made this point abundantly clear. Again, in Romans chapters 11, he says, Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It was Israel's responsibility to share the good news of the gospel and the message of salvation with the Gentiles. And it was foretold in Isaiah chapter 42, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. This scripture is clearly a reference to Yeshua, but it also translates Yeshua's commission to the Jewish people to carry his light, his truth, and covenant to the nations. And Paul used this scripture to justify his ministry to the Gentiles. As a Jewish man, he understood this calling was irrevocable and has never changed for the Jewish people. So aren't you thankful that God does not revoke his calling on our lives in response to our brief moments of sin and rebellion? I certainly am. Tertullian sees Israel, the firstborn and older son, as somehow greater or superior to the Gentiles. Rather than embrace his special place in the kingdom of God, Tertullian is attempting to self-affirm his sonship by declaring that God has a better plan. And yet scripture is clear that God always had a singular plan for both Israel and the Gentiles. As it says in Zechariah chapter 2, many nations, Gentiles, shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Yeshua said in John chapter 10, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The God of Israel has called the Gentiles by his name, as it says in Amos chapter 9, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. And Paul affirmed this when he said in Romans chapter 9, whom he also called not only from the Jews, but from the Gentiles as well. And regarding God's name, it is mentioned over 200 times in Scripture that he is called the God of Israel. And yet, he is not exclusively the God of the Jewish people. For it says in Romans chapter 3, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is the God of the whole earth, but he is also called the God of Israel. And the Gentiles have been joined to the God of Israel and grafted into his people. 
Being joined to Israel does not require the Gentiles to become Jewish. Paul repeatedly made this distinction in Romans chapter 4. He says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, Jew and Gentile, not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish people, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, the Gentiles, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Paul articulated and distinguished that there are natural descendants of Abraham, who are the Jewish people, and there are also the wild olive trees, the Gentiles, who have been grafted into Israel contrary to nature. The nations are joined to the Lord, and for that part are also joined to Israel, reaffirming what Paul said, that you have been grafted in amongst them. The Lord declared in Zechariah chapter 2, Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that I, the Lord of hosts, has sent me to you. The nations are joined to the Lord, and for that part are also joined to Israel, reaffirming what Paul said, that you have been grafted in amongst them. Therefore, since the covenants were made with Israel, the nations can only be joined to the Lord through Israel. When Yeshua said he had other sheep that he would bring into this fold, he was saying that he would bring the Gentiles to himself and join them to Israel. But he affirmed there would only be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, there can only be one people of God, and this one people is called the church. In Greek, it's called the ecclesia, and in Hebrew, the kahal, or more accurately called the great assembly. And this one assembly, who are a new creation in Christ, are comprised of every nation. And we will sing a new song to the God of Israel, as it says in Revelation chapter 5, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In contrast, Tertullian mistakenly believes that since Israel rejected her Messiah, God's divine mercy has left Israel and has now fallen upon the Gentiles. He thinks that the Gentiles have become the new Israel, the church, and believes the church has always been God's plan and Israel was a temporary dispensation. This manifestation of jealousy is an outward expression of hatred towards the Jewish people, and the behavior that perpetuates this hatred is called anti-Semitism. This hatred is fueled by a demonic spirit and in large part is driving the age-old conflict between Israel and her older siblings, Ishmael and Esau, where it says in Genesis 25, one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. We see this resentment in the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. This hatred comes straight from the pit of hell and is Satan's attempt to use our woundedness and weakness of man's soul and flesh and our pride to divide the kingdom of God. Tertullian's last nail in his coffin of false theology is when he declares that Israel, being the greater, will eventually be overcome by the lesser Gentile Christian church. Instead of Israel ultimately becoming the fulfillment of God's plan in his earthly kingdom where the nations would be joined to her, the church, which is comprised of mostly Gentiles, replaces Israel, and Israel becomes subservient rather than equal to the Gentiles. Tertullian refuses to embrace the truth of Scripture, 
where it says in Ephesians chapter 3 that the Gentiles should be fellow, meaning join heirs of the same body and partakers, meaning sharers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Again, Paul's writings in Romans 11 and Ephesians 2 clarify that the Gentiles have been grafted in amongst Israel to become one new man in Christ. We all require the blood of Yeshua to atone for our sin, and we are all adopted children brought back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father through the blood of Christ. The Gentiles have now received the same blessings and promises, including the gift of salvation and the responsibility of sharing this message of salvation with the world. Yet the Jewish people will always remain God's firstborn. Because of Israel's transgression and unbelief in her Messiah, the Gentiles have been grafted into the covenant promises made with Israel so that they would provoke Israel to jealousy. And sadly, Tertullian is holding to a demonic lie that the church has supplanted Israel as God's chosen people. And rather than provoking Israel to salvation in their Messiah, the Gentile church through the centuries has largely ignored and worse, persecuted the Jewish people. And this is why during all my early years in the church, I found it difficult to connect with the Gentile expression of Christianity. And it was not because the songs or worship style were different or even for any lack of Jewish observances like the Passover or the Sabbath, but simply because of the spirit of replacement theology that has continued to infect the church. The Gentiles have tried to usurp the place of God's firstborn and have tried to steal their spiritual identity. The children of Israel are the rightful heirs to God's covenants and promises, not by any works of the flesh, but only by their faith in Christ. And God's promises to Israel are irrevocable, meaning they are still in effect. Yet, because of Israel's rejection of both her Messiah and her calling to bring God's salvation message to the nations, the Lord has turned for a season to the Gentiles and given them the mantle and responsibility for completing the Great Commission. This commission is not to the exclusion, but fully with the inclusion of God's remnant of Jewish believers that we together as one new man in Christ, Yeshua, would labor to provoke Israel to jealousy. This would not only result in the bringing in of the full number of Gentile believers into the kingdom, but would also bring resurrection life to the church and the whole earth, thereby ushering in the return of the Lord and the millennial kingdom. As Yeshua declared in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And we, the church, which are one new man in Christ, comprised of every tongue, tribe, nation, and people, are that witness. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.